This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today we're chatting with Sam Johnston. Sam is a farmer from Forbes in New South Wales and the co-founder of Thank a Farmer for Your Next Meal. Thank a Farmer is a social media movement that showcases where Aussie food and fibre comes from, who makes it and how. One photo at a time. In this episode, you'll hear about how Sam's using social media to close the gap between city and country, his ideas for educating consumers about Aussie produce, and the role we all play in helping to promote our industry. Let's jump in. Well, firstly, thank you very much for joining us on Beyond the Farm Gate, Sam. Yeah, look, very excited. It's been a couple of months in the making and I'm very uh, fortunate and glad to be involved. Well, I thought I'd start with a pretty hard-hitting question up front. I want to get the lowdown on why reverse angle parking is something that happens in central New South Wales and nowhere else. I don't know. It's a good question. I, I got thrown by nose to front parking the other day and it nearly, yeah, nearly wrecked my whole week. So. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't work out. I don't know what the benefit of nose to curb parking is. I can't work it out. <laughs> or maybe it's for people that can't look over their shoulders. I'm not sure. <laughs> could be right. Could be right there. Yeah. On a more serious note, Sam, I thought we'd start with you telling us how your connection to agriculture began. I grew up on a family farm, 50 k's west of Forbes, in a little community called Coronella, and I basically developed my passion for agriculture and all things farming from watching my old man and my family do it. So obviously, when you're a young farm kid, you get to get out and do things pretty pretty early on, get quite a bit of responsibility early on in the piece, and going up on the farm definitely was the foundation for my passion and interest in agriculture. And that's sort of been a big common theme throughout my life. Whether that's been for my E12 design and technology major work, I built a tractor implement, I studied agricultural economics at uni. So that was had agriculture in the title, which was what drew me in. And then I did a little bit of rural property sales stuff as soon as I left and a little bit in my last year of uni. So I've been drawn to the sector. I think agriculture is a very progressive industry and one that you can see a raw set of inputs or a raw product turned into a marketable final product and that's pretty cool. What were you farming on the family farm? Is it still the same today as what it was when you were growing up? The family farm that we lived at originally, where I grew up, was born in Forbes, but grew up out there. Dad moved from the western suburbs of Sydney when he was 17 and sort of farmed there for over 35 years and then he got involved in a joint venture with Deutsche Bank where he aggregated a lot of property and they set up a fund called Merriment Rural Investments, Merriment being the farm that I grew up on and the family farm was absorbed into a corporate structure and dad helped identify a few other farms in the area which were purchased and run as an entity. So that was Merriment Rural Investments for a few years. After probably three years, dad got out of that. He was keen to go back and do his own thing and, and get back to 
I suppose what he knew. It was a, a great bit of experience for him, but I think he'd done his dash. So we sold that farm into the fund to begin with and then took a little bit of a parcel of one of the bigger properties closer to town and that's where we live now. So that's 20 k's out of Forbes, a similar direction out to the west of Forbes, out near Gemma. That was what we sort of did there. It was a very mixed farm, so we used to fatten prime lambs and, and cut a lot of loose and hay but over the years dad's tried everything and you know, i suppose he's got a bit of a model that he likes sticking to now which is basically in high performance improved pastures tiny little bit of cropping in rotation and then we've also more in the breeding space for obvious reasons with our sheep sheep flock at the moment and what about the decision to go from school straight to uni was that an easy one for you i mean a lot of people take a gap year back on a farm before going to study. Was that something that you considered? One of the main reasons that I went straight into university was because it was the only way I was going to get in. I actually got in due to my sporting ability. I wasn't the the smartest kid in my class, but I was half handy at rowing. So I basically got into Sydney Uni on a few bonus points as a result of rowing at national level and having a pretty good sporting thing going for me. Unfortunately, that meant that I wasn't going to go up north for a year. That was what a lot of my friends did at the time and a lot of my close mates from Central West and Southern New South Wales. So I did jump straight into uni on the basis that I was going to compete for Sydney Uni as a lightweight rower. Unfortunately, about a month into that commitment, I yeah, was told by my neurosurgeon doctor that I was unable to continue to row. So I basically got into to uni as a lemon, so I couldn't really um, <laughs> fulfill my, my rowing. So anyway, that was, that was my pathway into uni and I did find it pretty tough when I first began. It was a lot of heavy microeconomic principles and statistics, which... I'm sure a lot of listeners would be able to sympathise. Statistics weren't my cup of tea. I didn't do a high level of maths and I had no economic foundation. So I was basically flying blind into a degree which I thought would have a little bit more agriculture. Unfortunately, it wasn't to a fourth year we started talking about ag. So <laughs> anyway, there was a few subjects that I enjoyed so much I decided to do them twice, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> can definitely sympathise on uh, macroeconomics and statistics courses they're not fun for anyone they still give me nightmares <laughs> you and me both I just want to go back a couple of steps Sam and it's a path that's pretty well traveled for a lot of country kids making the transition from living on the farm to heading off to boarding school how was that experience for you and what differences were you noticing between yourself and those that were raised in the city well, I suppose being an immature 12-year-old, I had my views on the city kids and the day boys and, and all the sort of people that I met. I thought, why these guys got absolutely no idea what goes on on farm? But as I matured a little bit more and sort of met a few people and brought people out to my place, it was sort of evident that there was definitely a divide between people living in the city and people living in the bush just in terms of a mutual understanding of what goes on in both areas. It wasn't long before I had mates coming up in the school holidays to come and visit and it was just amazing to see how interested they were and, you know, we were moving sheep, which was an everyday occurrence and job for me being a farm kid and, and they were just like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Like we get to ride quad bikes and move sheep and they're taking photos. I'm going, what's, what's wrong with these guys? You know, it's not that, it's not that fun. This is work and, they're, you know, they're loving it. My whole view on that disconnect and divide between the city and bush just developed throughout the years. When I was at uni in my first year, and I think it was my second week, I, I've told this story a few times now, but I had a girl come up to me and, 
and say that she thought cotton was grown on the back of a sheep and she was pretty confident in that statement and I, I thought, uh-oh, that's, that's a bit of a worry. But, you know, it was probably me being a little bit more mature, I was able to explain to her that cotton is a plant and it's grown, it's not a sheep that's shorn. And that was a turning point for me because a lot of my mates who were there and heard her say that were sort of laughing at her and that's probably something that happens quite too regularly. People just laugh it off and, and think that person's a dingbat, but realistically they, they just haven't been given that information and every time they do go to ask or, or make a statement, they get laughed at. So I just sort of said, look, this is what happens and, and explain the situation to her and she actually came up to me the next week or a couple of days later and said, you know, I really appreciate you for telling me what actually goes on. Felt like a bit of an idiot, but, you know, at least I now know what's happening so I can share that with the people that I'm in network and conversations with. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, that I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, I wouldn't call these people uneducated. I don't think uneducated is the right word. They just haven't had exposure to it. And I think as an agricultural industry moving forward, we should probably look at doing a bit more of a better job of, of trying to, you know, show these people who live in the cities and metropolitan areas what does go on on farms. And I guess that probably flows on to the reason that we started up being a farmer. And that's what I wanted to move on to, Sam, your experience with social media. Was it this boarding school, uni sort of realisation that there was a disconnect that got you thinking about social media and expanding networks through that way? I was probably a bit of an early adopter of social media in terms of my peer groups. I was on Instagram pretty early on. It was a new thing when I was going through school and there was more the arty people on it and people who were Mum was on it, but she didn't have any idea what to do with it. She was just uploading random photos of bowls and stuff. And, you know, it's developed into a monster today. But I guess my first real experience with social media and and creating a page was Butte Utes, which was a page that I started up. I think it was in year 10 or 11. And it was basically all my mates had these cool Holden Commodore Ford Falcon Utes. They were driving around on their red peas in these, you know, what I thought were the coolest Utes. And here I was driving around in an old AU Ford Falcon station wagon, which was, yeah, fondly known around the boys. But basically, I started up this page because I was a bit jealous and I just wanted to showcase and, and share my friend's Ute photos, which is bit weird at the time but yeah I sort of did it incognito and and no one really knew it was me for probably a year or two which was quite cool because I just yeah finally poked along all that and then I finally got a ute and I I disclosed my identity so a lot of people have a lot of you know interest and love their vehicles so to get people to send in content and and tag you in photos using hashtag beats was was quite good and I think it's yeah about 30,000 followers today so that was my first real experience with social media. Basically, the way Thanker Farmer started up was that uh, a guy who had taken a gap year, he was a year above me at school at one of the other boarding schools in Sydney, and we both started the Ag Economics degree together. He basically approached me and said, I, I know you've had a bit of success with your Butte page. How about we start up one around agriculture? And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I guess the reason we started up at the beginning was just for a bit of fun and sharing photos between our friends and families. We had obviously a lot of spare time at uni, being uni students, and yeah, it was amazing how well that was received. I don't think there was that many other pages doing that sort of thing at the time, and yeah, it was just being a niche, getting started early and and, and being ahead of the pack that meant that it was so well received. Within a couple of weeks, we had three or four or 5,000 followers. It was just amazing to see that build up and people adopt that hashtag 
all across, you know, Australia, New South Wales, and, and even the world. So I think we're nearly at 100,000 followers across Facebook and Instagram. And you try and put that into perspective of a physical event, it's a hell of a lot of people. So we certainly couldn't have done that without the support of our followers, but been a quite successful venture. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of respect for us for doing that. Sounds like a, a huge success, and it is. Why was it necessary, I suppose? Like, why do you think that hashtag was necessary to get out there? Like, what's the reasoning behind it? Well, looking back on it, I guess that that comment about the wool and the cotton grown on the back of a sheep, there was a few just little things like that that thought, wow, when we started it, we thought it was a bit of fun. And then after we got probably about three to 5,000 followers, thought, well, this could be a really good opportunity to promote agriculture in a positive light. At the time, it was 2014, and there was quite a bit of negative stuff out in mainstream media outlets about, you know, cruelty on farms, animal cruelty, the way people shear things, and they're all just to the unexperienced. You could take that as being actually what happens on farms, and for people who had grown up on farms and, and were involved in agriculture, you just go, you know, that's ridiculous. That would never happen, and, you know, this is all a fabricated story, and we just wanted to make sure that instead of farmers having to defend their actions and be on the back foot all the time, we wanted to get the positive and correct and true information out there to begin with. We sort of had a bit of a more balanced argument about farmers and their practices and, and all that sort of thing. We sort of sat down after yeah a month or so and said, look, what are we going to do? How are we going to run this to yeah make the most out of the platform we've got and the following that we've got? Jim Honor from Dugong, who's the, the guy who I started it with, he, he's been really, really innovative in the way that he makes his captions and, and all the stuff that he, that he does is really thought out. So that whole closing the gap between producer and consumer, city and bush, and, and showing metropolitan uh, people where their food and fibre comes from, who made it, how it's made is, is sort of all his baby and it's rung true to a lot of people. So... I think farmers in general probably aren't overly excited about putting themselves out there and promoting themselves, but the agriculture market is something that needs to be marketed. I think all those people out there on the land, no matter what age they are, should be proud of what they do because we do have on a globally comparative basis it's such a good industry and I think the stakeholders involved in agriculture are you know, second to none across the world. So I think it's definitely a story worth telling and something that everyone should be proud of. For those that don't know, your hashtag is thank a farmer for your next meal. Are there any gaps that you still see that we do need to promote further around our industry? Are there any specific commodities or locations that we feel or you feel that we haven't highlighted enough as an industry as a whole? I think in general, we could do a better job at promoting ourselves. And I think there's a huge space in the next five to, to 20 years for us as an industry to improve traceability and marketability of our products. I find it so amazing that I can work into a supermarket chain or a supermarket shop and and still not get a full understanding of where that food and fibers come from. It's a very non-personal experience. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's that not everyone is going to want to go into a supermarket and work out where that steak was from and, you know, under what circumstances it was grown, who the grower was. But I think people want to know where their food and fibre comes from more than we think. And if I can't make an informed purchasing decision about why I would buy milk brand X over milk brand Y, then how's someone who's been living in the, in the city their whole life going to be able to do that? So I'd love to see a bit more of a shift around 
it's proven that the QR code is a pretty simple and straight thing, especially through COVID. And I'd love to be able to see, you know, a bit more information behind that product. I'd love to be able to go and scan a stake and say, you know, that was grown at X property at Condovo and under the farming conditions. And it doesn't have to be a, a massive lot of information, but just just a little bit more that makes the story a bit more personal. It might be a video or two with the grower saying that we've been farming here for three generations and all that sort of thing. I think that would help consumers make more informed decisions. It'd be interesting to see how we as an industry can explore that space a little bit more. I think would definitely add a bit more of a personal aspect to the products that we produce obviously a lot of time and effort goes into to getting that steak from paddock to plate so i think if we can yeah shift a bit more focus towards showing people a bit more of the personal story behind that then they might be more inclined to pay more for australian grown products as opposed to stuff overseas but in saying that i've always been a strong believer in that Australia is part of a, a global market where heavily export-driven country in terms of agriculture and to adopt the approach that only eat Australian, only consume Australian products is also not the greatest argument either. I think everything within reason and in a measured approach is good, but to adopt that fully is probably not the greatest thing either. So it's interesting. It's an evolving sort of view and idea of for a couple of years now. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's any bodies out there or any industry specifically within the agricultural sector that will step up and, and explore that as an option moving forward. I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. And I think that's a fantastic way that we can help bridge that gap from an industry perspective. But from a consumer perspective, if there was one thing that consumers could do to help understand more about where their food is coming from? What do you think that would be? I think that's a really good question. And I think I did a talk out at the Sydney Royal Easter Show to a heap of school kids from probably regional New South Wales, but there was also quite a few people from the city. And I said to them, the best thing that you could do being here, I think the question was put to the panel, what is something that you could, you know, give advice on to these people who are here at the show today? And I said, the best thing you guys could do would be to go out and meet one of the the farmers or, or, or meet one of the, the growers here. If someone's showing cattle, go and ask them a question. Show some interest in what they're doing and ask them why they're here. Ask them how long they've been doing it for. And you'd be amazing what you can find out if you ask those questions and show a bit of interest. And I think as consumers, asking questions is a good thing, whether that be positive or negative questions, if we can formulate good, strong, solid answers, there's no reason why, you know, we shouldn't be able to do that. So I think just asking questions and if you are interested, show that you're interested. I'm sure there's plenty of consumers out there who would like to know a bit more about the background of the food and fibre they consume on a regular basis. But, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's any there's any easy thing that a consumer can do to to help in this in this area. There's no one fix no, definitely no magic wand, but it's a really good point around asking questions and hopefully with things like social media and podcasts, we can help as a whole industry make that easier for them. I wanted to go onto a different topic and we've talked about going from country to city, but I understand that you've now made the return journey back home. What's it like to now be calling yourself a farmer again? Pretty cool. It's been a dream of mine for a long time. I think I got back onto my MySpace profile the other day and I think it was in about year seven, I put up a photo of something irrigating a paddock with the black siphons and it was captioned, when I grow up, I want to be a farmer. 
yeah, I'm finally at 26 years of age able to say that I'm finally farming in my own right and also in the family business. So I'm very appreciative to have that opportunity. I've got a very supportive family and I know that when I was going through my university degree at the end of, you know, when my last exam was on, I was like, that's it, I'm gone. That's it, I'm going straight back to the farm and you won't see me in Sydney for another 10 years. But I was fortunately given a a opportunity that allowed me to be based in Sydney and also travel out to rural and regional Australia on a, on a weekly basis. So I used that as a transition and I gained a lot of really good experience through that job and really enjoyed that during my three years working in Sydney, but also working across New South Wales and, and a bit of Queensland. So to be actually now back on the farm, I think I've been back here since October last year. And yeah, it's, it's really good to be able to improve that farm of mine that I've just bought. It's right next to mum and dad. So that's really good. I can knock off the tractor for a day or two and, and, and borrow a bit of fuel every now and then, which is was very good. I don't have to worry about sheep yards because dad's got some just up the road. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I've got plenty to learn. Been heavily involved in sport going through school. I probably missed a lot of school holidays when a lot of other kids would get back to the farm and be able to help out. So I've still got plenty to learn and I'm, I'm really exciting. It's a whole new ball game for me and I think it's one of those things I've had a lot of people support me and invest a lot of time and, and money into me and as someone who's a young ag enthusiast and I'm hoping now I can sort of finally show that yeah, I'm keen to get back in and get stuck in as a farmer. So It's very exciting that you can look back and say that you now have grown up and you have achieved that dream. But what is next for both Sam the farmer and also for Thank Farmer? I think... I've been looking at a couple of other programs, leadership programs and that sort of thing. And I'm thinking at the moment, it's best off for me to try and get a bit more practical experience. I'm a big believer in upskilling yourself and making sure that you're not sitting static. I'm not the sort of person who wants the same experience 10 years in a row. But in saying that, I think it's about time that I put the hard yards in on the farm and, and learn as I as much as I can from my old man. He's you know getting on uh, in his 60s now, so I need to try and absorb as much information and knowledge as I can from him and all his contacts and his network while I'm back here. So I think for Sam the farmer, I'll stick on the farm for a while and build up as much experience as I can. Dad's always said you, you're given two eyes, two ears and, and one mouth for a reason. So I'm going to try and adopt that for the next couple of years and, and make sure that I yeah learn as much as I can. I'm a big believer also in you don't have to be the smartest person in the room and you become the average of the 10 people you hang out with. So I think surrounding yourself with positive people is also a very important thing. So that's what I'm going to try and do in terms of Sam the Farmer and hopefully yeah try and make the most of these good seasonal conditions. We've had now 500 mils, I think, in Forbes on our place out of 480 for the average annual rainfall and we're in the beginning of June. So I, I keep laughing with that. I said, geez, it's been a tough time to get into farming, hasn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, a, a, with, with commodity prices so good and interest rates low and a good season. So he's really good. He's got a wealth of knowledge and, and he, he loves doing what he does and that's a bit infectious. So fortunate to be in the position I am. But in terms of Thanga Farmer, I think now that I have left a full-time role working for someone else and have a little bit more time, I'm hoping that we might be able to stoke that fire up again. We've probably been a little bit not too active over the last six to 12 months, which has been on the basis that we've just both been so busy. And I, I guess after a while, we've been doing it for six six years now or 
coming on seven years and it gets to the point where you social media is a bit of a rabbit hole and you spend enough time on it in your own personal environment and then you get to go and do it for work it, it can be a bit draining so we've sort of had a bit of a hiatus from it haven't really posted that much but i'm hoping that towards the end of the, this month and in the coming months that we'll, we'll fire that back up now that sowing landmarking are all done and, and we've got a bit more extra time so in terms of what next i'd love to get on the road i know you had ben brooksby on the podcast earlier and what he has done is awesome so i take great pleasure out of knowing that his first photo in the lentils there he had a finger farmer hat on so it's been a pretty cool story and we've met a lot of cool people along the way so i'd love to go out and do a bit more user-generated content where it's not just people sending us stuff in i'd love to get on the road with a film crew and visit probably start off in new south wales and and visit a a couple of farmers and, and get you know a short mini series going on what they've done how they've come to be farmers and what their story is i think there's a really good opportunity to go and yeah showcase a few of these successful farmers and and people that have yeah done well on the land and there's a positive story there and, and something worth sharing well matt and i would love to see you down in geelong and sa respectively but if there's anyone out there that's listening and would like to get involved in thank a farmer how can they do that Probably the best way is jump on the Facebook or Instagram pages. There's heaps of good content on there and hopefully by the time this podcast is up and live, we'll be a bit more active. If you're posting anything about agriculture, uh, we've got a couple of hashtags we like to use, hashtag thank a farmer for your next meal and hashtag eat well, eat Australian. There's a couple more on our page if you want to jump on and have a look. If you don't follow us, definitely have a look through the, the photos. There's some amazing amazing photos on there and and even videos and stories so just jumping on the facebook or instagram pages giving us a like and a follow would be much appreciated and something that hopefully uh brighten your feed up in terms of positive agriculture information and news in your news feed that's awesome sam and to wrap us up i'll end on maybe a similar note to how matt started our interview but now that you're back home and you're back on the farm what work boots do you wear when you're out on farm I'm a redback guy. I used to be Blundstone and then I got into the redbacks. So, um, yeah, redbacks. Very interesting. We had redbacks yesterday on a recording for the first time. So that's two votes. Yeah, how good. Well, it's it's actually interesting to see how much of a spread you've got. Very well received. I hope you guys are keeping a tally. You'll have to uh, put a histogram or something up to visualise the results. It'd be very interesting to see. But I, I can't believe how much of a spread there is. Have you had any Ariats yet? I know the Ariats are... Yeah, we did. We had a Queenslander on the show there a couple of weeks ago. How good. Beauty. Righto. Well, that that's that's very good. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sam. Glad that we were able to have you on and have a chat about something that's really important to the industry and we'll keep a close eye on what you get up to over the next couple of months. We'll hold you to your promise to kick it back off again. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, look, I've really appreciated being on Annie and Matt and thank you very much for considering me to be on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it and hopefully people might be able to take a bit of information away from yeah what I've just had to say. Thanks, Sam. It's awesome. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. 
And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. And I'm Matt Ayer, and we'll chat to you next time.